You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Welcome back. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage. My name is Blake on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. And here to talk about the Arizona Cardinals today, we'll go over a little bit of the Panthers game matchup, just some of the other injuries that have been going around with the team. Uh, Talk a little bit about Cliff Kingsbury and what we've seen from him as far as a coach, some of the credit that he's probably been long time overdue. Some of uh, the national media has been very skeptical to crown him. And wrap it up at least by previewing what the Cardinals might look like on Sunday with the matchup against the Seattle Seahawks. But first, let's get into it, talking at least a bit about the game. And uh, going into last week, it seemed like it was very much a case of where the Cardinals were looking at trying to win the game without Kyler Murray for the first time in perhaps, you know... Uh, since he's essentially started his career in Arizona, we've not had him as not the starter. So you've been seeing someone like Brett Hundley taking over as a backup. Or seeing, at least in some other cases, um, seeing at least questions about whether he would start the season. Uh, this is a game, at least, where it got out of hand very quickly for the cards. Obviously, people who have watched it or have seen can be able to tell. But wanted to focus on the main avenue of what exactly went wrong, what maybe our either some concerns and what was the reason why the Niners game was essentially a blow on the road so different from the Cardinals at home. I'm someone who I think there's maybe some possibility that the Cardinals the night before, maybe it's getting to the hotel, flying together. Maybe there's something centrally about them leaving that's unifying the group coming out and something about teams being at home that – they're getting, you know, a nice, comfortable sleep in their own bed, waking up, getting into the stadium, following that same set pattern. Perhaps there's something that's there that just happens and leaning itself a little bit to this Cardinals team, but they do better on the road. Perhaps that's the case. I think it's a lot more likely, though, that when it's looking at both schedule and other avenues that this is a team that we have seen thrives off of turnovers. Cardinals have right now have the top turnover differential in the NFL behind only the Buffalo Bills. And you're talking about the way the Cardinals have been able to win football games this season is in a multitude of ways. You look at week one against the Titans. You've got those five sacks of Matt Ryan. You move to uh, their week three game, I believe, against their week four against the Niners, I should say at least. 17-10, defensive struggle, made some clutch plays at the end, made some clutch stops in fourth down. I think we saw ultimately with the Colt McCoy Cardinals, we got to see the highs and lows of not just what a backup quarterback could bring, but what having an overall, let's just say, averaged non-star quarterback can do. And this is where the NFL, the NFL is all about being able to put together and sustain drives. There's a limited amount of time. There's a limited amount of possessions that come into the game. So therefore, your goal is to be able to manage the game to be able to score on as many possessions as possible or being able to essentially, you know, not bleed out completely. Like a good example is you see a team that goes three and out on their first three drives. Very difficult to win the game, obviously. These are things that every football fan should know. When it comes to the likes of Colt McCoy, we saw the Cardinals with their backup quarterback went and switched from this dynamic passing attack with Kyler Murray that's able to run the football, it's able to throw it, that's even able to run it with Kyler's legs, to this defensive type of football that, in a lot of different ways, was the, what you might call it, the Steve Wilkes or maybe the Vic Fangio. There's all sorts of different areas, but you could look at it. Essentially, the idea is you switch to this defensive type of football. And the idea is we're going to be effective with our possessions. We're going to limit the opposing offenses by playing good defense and running the football and making sure that we can score off of turnovers. And that's what the Cardinals did to the Niners the week before. You've got three turnovers, in the, I believe, in the entire game, two of those in the first half. Arizona drives down the field, scores James Conner on two of those, and is able to put it away with a third turnover in the second half. Now, and this game, what the Panthers did to the Cardinals, obviously, was what the Cardinals did to the Niners. And it shows, I think, the limitations 
of having a defense first and a run game plan. Because in the NFL, when it comes to the talent of possessions, when it comes to the talent, when it comes to these type of things, the turnovers are most important. And we had a turnover very early. Hassan Reddick, who is by all accounts having the type of season that we thought that Chandler Jones perhaps could have, uh, more on that in a bit, goes and gets a sack fumble, inside move on D.J. Humphries from the first get-go, saw it coming at least from the stands, and it's a fumble recovered by the Carolina Panthers. They use Cam Newton, punch it in. At that point, you say, all right, turnovers are not necessarily a backbreaker. The issue, of course, coming down to when you're talking about the limited amount of drives that you're going to get as an offense. You're not going to play it like baseball where you have a nine-inning limit, and if you're tied, you keep going until someone wins, where there's a potential for limitless amounts of times through the order. I'm sure baseball at least will have its end naturally, and all of that goes, but turnovers at least are the key and what Arizona has at least shown is in the past they've had the ability with Kyler Murray to win the game in spite of turnovers at the Packers game we have Rondell Moore has a fumble uh touches the ball goes bad on special teams on offense you've got a pressure player Kyler Murray has to toss the ball a bit high put a bit more gas on it Uh, they've got some interior pressure ball bounces off of Moore's hands a bit of a high throw and it gets picked off And despite those two turnovers, the Arizona Cardinals, by getting that stop on fourth down when the Packers are about to store, give the ball back to Kyler Murray, and he drives down the field 99 yards. They're about to score. Of course, A.J. Green doesn't turn back around. But the fact that the Cardinals then in that game, they lost because they turned the ball over three times, including on the final offensive drive they had. But with those two turnovers... Because of the talent they had, because of the defense that they put forth, that two turnovers was not something that put the game away from them. That's because they had Kyler Murray at quarterback. Now, this is going on week number three. Count it as week four if you want to, because of the bye week without Kyler at quarterback. And what we've seen, I think, in some cases, you talk about the Steve Wilkes brand of football. I think we've gotten a little bit of a glimpse into it. I think I even said this after the game. There is a little bit of a glimpse of what life might have been like if the Arizona Cardinals had decided to keep Josh Rosen at quarterback. And that's where it's you're looking at that as far as the game manager, the guy who's able to hand the football off a strong run game, make a few plays, maybe get out of a few sacks. That was all the type of things a backup quarterback is expected to do. But backups are not the type of quarterback who can elevate the talent around them. And that's something I think that we've seen over time with Josh Rosen. This uh, is being recorded on a Thursday night. We're just done with Thursday night football. Matt Ryan goes into the game. And you've seen in the past, Matt Ryan, he's been both elevated by teammates as a younger player. You think of the Tony Gonzalez days, the days when Michael Turner was toting the rock. They immediately went out and ensured that they had Julio Jones to go along with Roddy White. There were times that Matt Ryan would have a slightly low throw. Tony Gonzalez makes up for it, makes a great play. Other times where Matt Ryan's been able to escape in the pocket and be able to make a great throw to a wide open player, he's basically in that case elevating some of his teammates. The Falcons were being essentially beaten down by a Patriots team that by all reasons looks like they've got the potential to be a threat in the AFC this season. That will be definitely a team to watch, especially considering Cardinals played them last year and had struggles against that defensive scheme. Should have probably won last year. They did not can blame Zim Gonzalez, blame the offense. You can blame whatever you look to as far as for maybe not going for it on third and two. It's a place where Bill Belichick is a master of his craft. But we saw Josh Rosen get into the game at the end of it for the Atlanta Falcons. And on a third down play, the, I believe, first or second passing play that he had, throws a pick six to the linebacker underneath coverage, tries to maybe sidearm it in, does not see that underneath coverage, or if he did, simply trusted his arm to make that throw. And he could not. And that ultimately, I think in a lot of cases, that is the idea of the backup quarterback. Because when you're in a position of having to step up and make plays, we've seen this with Colt McCoy. There's times where he can get it done, but there's not times when he's in a losing state and the Cardinals are having to throw the ball to catch up. You can't run the ball because you've got a limited amount of time to get back in the game. There's a clock that's ticking down. If you run the ball and try to control clock, you're going to eventually run out of time. That's why teams do hurry up and throw the ball downfield. And we saw Colt McCoy in some of those examples. There was the three turnovers that took place. The Cardinals got one of those back, did not end up scoring on those. And I think what we've learned about this Cardinals team, at least, is 
same thing I think we've learned from a lot of other NFL teams, and it's the importance of having a playmaking franchise quarterback who's able to step up and make some of those different areas and plays even when they're in adverse situations. The cards of Kyler, and there's maybe almost no lead that's insurmountable. We can think back to that first game of his career. Arizona Cardinals for three quarters have been shellacked. Cliff Kingsbury's 10-wide personnel plan was just simply being beaten at the line of scrimmage by the Lions. Kyler Murray throws an interception. Lions are putting up a score that is identical to the score that the Alex Smith uh, Washington football team put up on the Arizona Cardinals in week one of the 2018 season the year before. And they call what you will, whether the Lions relaxed, whether what happened, the Cardinals were able to catch up. Get a field goal, making it 24-9, scored a touchdown. So like 24-17, you are talking about the ability for the Arizona Cardinals. I should say 24-16. I'm double-checking my numbers here. Arizona Cardinals to be able to tie the game, and tie it they did. They should have probably won it in overtime, but as we've seen, that was a young staff, a young quarterback, and an older team that didn't quite yet gotten to the level of talent they are now. But they still manage to come back, and that's what happens when you have a star quarterback who's able to step up and take those plays, you're good. And that's why the Arizona Cardinals, in this case, people are saying they need to get Kyler Murray back. And I think you can agree on a surface level. I think that the biggest thing about this week's game is you're going to have to take a look and see if Kyler Murray could potentially hurt himself worse in this game if he couldn't go, or if he's feeling like he'd be signed at the pocket and he can't run around. It's going to be easily blitzed and able enough to take sacks. And if it's maybe better just to wait to the bye week, I think that at this point what we've seen from the Arizona Cardinals at least is that while the San Francisco 49ers were not much of a threat, it seemed at first they seemed to have the revenge game against the Rams a week later. Very something we've seen from Cardinals opponents this season. If the Cardinals go and beat you up the week before, those teams do seem to go out on a persistent basis and beat up the following team the following week. I think we've seen is how much the NFL can get by for a game with a backup. But you can't get by usually for more than that. You can get by for maybe half a season getting to an 8-8 eight and eight record using a game manager. Look at the Denver Broncos. Great example. You have a Teddy Bridgewater in tow. A guy who's trying to not make mistakes. A guy who in 3rd and 15 will throw the 8-yard check down route. Talking about at least teams like the Jimmy Garoppolo Niners who have been able to essentially run the ball but make use of some of their plays, complete passes on third down. But that defense forcing several Matthew Stafford turnovers showed, oh, this is how the NFL works. You force those turnovers early. You can run the ball on teams, force them to throw it, and then with the quarterback not being maybe either as talented or having an off day as Matthew Stafford did, uh, an offense that looked definitely a bit like they were missing Robert Woods, you can see how these teams are able to effectively get victories by running the ball. Not necessarily saying that running the ball is the way to win. Running the ball is simply a symptom of turnovers. That's what we saw with Christian McCaffrey. He goes off for about 150 total yards on the Arizona Cardinals. And in a lot of ways, people say, oh, they're getting gashed wide open. There were some good plays where the Cardinals had everything blocked up. He ends up bouncing it outside Beat Zach Allen around to the edge for what would have been a touchdown had he not stepped out. Seeing a few guys getting open down the middle because when you're talking about teams being able to run the ball, that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying, we're forcing you to try to stop us. And doing anyway. And you got the Cardinals players and trying to punch the ball out, trying to force a turnover. It really does come down to ultimately with how in the NFL, if turnovers are deciding part of your game, then the entire game plan changes. Now, that's not to say that the Cardinals were absolved or putting everything on to Colt McCoy. There were some concerns I think you look at in this game. Uh, this was one of the games where Cliff Kingsbury, I think, had his first maybe major, in some ways, mistake. And that was early in the game after that fumble. It was there you start moving the ball downfield, a completion to A.J. Green. Cardinals are at midfield. And you're at third and one. It's a long one. It's not a short one. Line up in the backfield with Eno Benjamin, James Conner. Hand it off to Eno with James Conner blocking as the fullback. And I think we've seen a play like this before. There was a time where people forget Chase Edmonds was the guy that was being blocked for by David Johnson in a fullback role 
and some training camps and preseasons way, way back in 2018. And let me tell you, it was about as effective as you'd expect that 2018 play to be. James Conner's a guy that obviously is a big back. He's a guy that's been consistent. He's there. I would rather say you should run the ball two times and say, and if you stop James Conner two times on a one-yard play, then hats off, credit to you. There's no shame in that whatsoever. Instead, we see Cliff Kingsbury seemingly trying to sneak by with a quarterback sneak, catch a team off guard, or maybe just trusting his player in Colt McCoy who picked up a quarterback sneak the week before to make plays. But go for it and fourth down, and then at midfield recognize, hey, we've got the opportunity to either pin what's been a bad Panthers offense deep, or go for it, try to get some momentums, and Juju keep going down to be able to pick up the pace. I think that's one of the cases where I have no issue with Cliff being aggressive for it. I think that coaches are too often too timid and don't actually go and make those different errors that can decide games versus let them be decided for them. But it was by going with those two play calls, I think he said, man, if Cliff could have that back, I bet he would have handed it off to James Conner. And ultimately, the Panthers go down, make it a 14-0 game. And the one type of momentum the Cardinals had, Colt McCoy throwing back across his body. One of those plays that maybe a Kyler Murray can make up for just due to the insane athletic talent. But it's never usually a good idea for the typical NFL quarterback. Because throwing back across your body, across the middle, it's easy to close on that if you're a defensive back. Instead, he throws high. You've got a guy waiting there in the coverage, uh, playing back in some zone that the Panthers have loved to run for years, intercepts it, and with the ensuing field goal, that made it a game. I think there's other areas you can be disappointed in. For Colt, the expectations, it wasn't too disappointing because you're talking about a much more difficult defense, number two defense there, and a team that also, we should remark, had Cam Newton back on their sideline in what probably was a lot bigger of a burst than we thought. Like, If you're the Arizona Cardinals, imagine if you're in this situation. Imagine that you're basically the Cardinals. Colt McCoy is the guy who started it, but Kyler Murray is back for you. And on the other sideline, you're seeing P.J. Walker. And you're just like, man, Kyler's back. He's going to be in for a few plays. We've got this guy back. You know, maybe his wrist is still having an injury, but he's going to be back after this. He's able to run the ball on the goal line two or three times. Maybe he'll even throw it at least for that one, get in a few snaps. There would be momentum that you would see from having that type of leader back. And... I think that we underrated some of Cam being added to the Panthers ahead of that, just in terms of how the team played. Though I don't really feel like it's too bad as far as for that with Colt. You see some of the limitations. I don't think the Cardinals need to be this team that goes out and gets this high and, you know, Jalen Hurts to Carson Wentz type quarterback, this team that brings in this Nick Foles behind. I think that they're a team that you would find your sturdy, steady quarterback that can run Cliff Kingsbury's offense. You're thinking your Colt McCoy, your Case Keenum's. Heck, even your Chris Travelers. And being able to just get through a game or two, wait for your starter to get back. If the guy goes out for a longer term, then at that point, you're really just playing for pride and for coaches to prove that, yes, I know what I'm doing enough to be able to salvage a season. Think of the time that Big Ben got hurt. Pittsburgh Steelers essentially were almost in a playoff contention up to the end of the year. You think of the Carson Palmer year for Arizona. Cardinals made the playoffs. Sure, it was with Ryan Lindley, and they were shellacked. But there was pride. There was momentum. You could see how it built into that following year where they went to the NFC Championship game. The biggest disappointment, I think, that you had from that game, ultimately, was not even like wondering, oh, man, did Cliff make a mistake? It wasn't even looking at the guy that got away in Hassan Reddick. I'll talk about him next with Humphreys. But I think it was that when you had A.J. Green out for a week, you're talking about how, all right, you're down to Christian Kirk, Rondale Moore, and Zach Ertz as your guys. You got Antoine Wesley, who's having to take snaps at DeAndre Hop- Hopkins' position. And A.J. Green ends up with one catch for four yards in the game. Ends up with the one catch, at least, that you see at least that seemed like it was starting to get the offense going. And then after that, it was almost like you reached that point where he was not able to separate. He was not able to make plays. And some of that obviously goes back to... Uh, Talented defenses will try to take those weapons away. But even still, if A.J. Green, if you said, hey, A.J., we need you to step up and be the wide receiver one, guess what? Christian Kirk was the true wide receiver one that week in Arizona, and that is a rough spot to be in because if your number one wide receiver is a slot receiver, you're not able to make big plays on the outside, and teams are just going to keep those safeties near the box or in the center of the field on all day and work on that. And I think that's what we've seen is some of the limitations. And part of the thing is give AJ Green credit. He's been essentially 
dead and buried in the league for the last two years. He became a joke as far as for how banged up he was in Cincinnati. And he's been able to turn himself into what's been a solid wide receiver, too, behind DeAndre Hopkins. But we've seen that there's limitations that we have with A.J. Green and his age, with maybe some of the separation. If he's in a spot where you're saying, hey, we've got two wide receiver ones in Arizona, I think that there's a lot of people who would have said that maybe two or three weeks ago. I don't know if there's anyone saying that now in Arizona. Because wide receiver one has to be that alpha that can step up, make plays when no one else can. And the Cardinals are missing DeAndre Hopkins, the guy who made that big play at the end of the first Niners game, getting them in position to score that touchdown. It does feel like it's a very different offense, not just without Kyler, but without D-Hop. And the other avenue, of course, is you take a look at DJ Humphreys. I'll talk about him after the quick break here about him, and especially with Hassan Reddick as a player that the Cardinals very well should they have re-signed. We said earlier in the season that it was potentially a mistake that they didn't sign him. I'll talk more about this on the other end of the break here on the ROTB pod. And welcome back to the Revenge of the Birds podcast. So, Hassan Reddick had himself a day against the Arizona Cardinals. He wasn't the most talented player on the field. That title would go to Christian McCaffrey. But Reddick ultimately, in a lot of different ways, had what you could probably call his revenge game. And this is quite a game as it was. The Hassan Reddick goes off, at least for that one, ends up with a, a tackle for a sack on the opening play of the game. I should say the opening third down of the game. It's with two tackles that was therein, including one and a half sacks, beating DJ Humphrey for that full sack fumble. And I think you see that he was the main name, not Brian Burns on the other end, but Hassan Reddick. And the other guy who was there, Zane Gonzalez, made all of his field goals. He had the opportunity to be able to kick at least, I think you're talking about uh, one, two, three, four, like about four field goals. He made four of four. And I don't think you fault Zane for that. Kickers are always a tricky spot. There's always there's these Pro Bowl slash post Hall of Fame kickers like the likes of a Matt Prater, like a Justin Tucker. These guys, you can even look over in Green Bay. These guys who maybe have a down year, so they snap back the next year. Zane had shown himself to struggle once in a while. In fact, he had struggled every other. He had struggled with the Browns. He was brought in, missed an extra point with the Cardinals in the end of the 2018 season. I should say perhaps it was the 2019 season, actually. Sorry about that. Goes through into 2020. The team tenders him at a second-round pick a little high, and he ends up not being able to hit a kick mentally. And, of course, goes off against Arizona. That's sometimes how it works. You'll see this in sports of sometimes guys who go off against teams that wrong them. Anquan Bolden comes to mind immediately as this. Anytime you play the Cardinals, Anquan's going for 120 yards and a touchdown. Maybe, Maybe two. And so then it brings up the question of, did the Cardinals have a choice in what they did with Hassan Reddick? And I think the answer is no, because Hassan Reddick came in, took over for Chandler Jones. You've got Chandler Jones coming back in the last year of his deal as the highest paid player on the team. You're bringing back the likes of a guy and a Dennis Gardeck. And I think the really the only choice that had to be made was, are you going to choose to keep essentially one year of Hassan Reddick, give it another go, and then cut Devon Kennard to do so, or bring Kennard back, maybe have the ability to restructure his contract as the Cardinals have done, and then be able to at least see what you have with in this kind of last push. A guy who's a veteran who can man the edge was considered to be a solid, if not great, fit for the Cardinals advanced Joseph's defense. And I think we've come away with some of the people who were the Reddick fans uh, when he was drafted, especially when it came down to talking about the pass rush. There's a little bit of redemption here. And I was one of those people who said, hey, I think the Cardinals... The fit that you have of him being able to defend tight ends with his athleticism on the edge and being able to rush the passer, that is what we're talking about of being the modern-day NFL linebacker. Modern-day NFL inside linebacker has to be able to line up and do multiple areas of being able to ultimately stop the run, being able to be in coverage in the middle of the field, being able to even blitz at the quarterback. But at the end of the day, your job as an inside linebacker is to get in the quarterback's eyes of throwing it and being able to get in that situation by first being able to fill the run fits well. And while that's what the Cardinals have struggled with, sometimes it seems to be more of the type of struggling of when they get down or when teams say, hey, we're just going to continue to run on you. We're not going to be afraid uh, of the pass. When teams and the Cardinals are not able to force those early game turnovers, 
then that's when their linebackers are maybe not necessarily exposed, but you could argue that the NFL is a league that does not have quite enough talent at linebacker, and it's part of the reason why we're seeing such a passing explosion. Is because while defensive fronts are able to do effective ways of being able to isolate, being able to force teams into difficult scripts or circumstances, the film study analytics is being performed at a higher level than ever in NFL defenses. The one area you can always seem to get away with for the most part is in being able to have a quick passing game over the middle or off slightly to the side that's able to pick up first downs, pick up at least five yards, and then you're able to say, all right, cool, we can run the football, get ourselves into third and third and short, and get that mismatch we want. Get a Christian Kirk on a linebacker, boom, get a running back out of the back, find a linebacker, boom, toss it to a Zach Ertz who comes down with it, boom. That is where ultimately a lot of NFL championships can be decided is with linebacker play. We've even seen this in last year's Super Bowl where we saw this with the Bucks being able to make Patrick Mahomes' life a living hell. We've seen this in the Legion of Boom. Who could forget Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, and Cam Chancellor being those guys in the Cardinals division that would just frustrate you year in and year out? Because they could then run the ball on you and you would not be able to do it on them. I think at least when it comes down to that, that type of role is not what fits Hassan Reddick well. For Hassan Reddick in college was recruited as a safety with that athleticism at Temple. But it was that he moved to defensive end that he really made his way. And that's one of the things I think that we at least forget about with Reddick. When he came out, the comparison that we made as far as Bruce Aaron made was he said, oh, this is a guy who's like a Von Miller, a guy who hunts after the quarterback. And then Von Miller was a defensive end and an edge rusher. And the Cardinals said, all right, we're going to move us on Reddick behind Carlos Dansby, let the master teach, and then in about a year or so, he'll take over at the inside linebacker spot using that hybrid role that we know so well. Well, things did not turn out like that. As on Reddick in college, you're looking at it, he had 47 tackles for loss. That's an elite company and 17 and a half sacks in his four years. Last two years at Temple, he averaged about seven sacks and somewhere between you know 16 to 17 tackles per loss in a season. That's really good. And is it Chandler Jones, defense player of the numbers? No, but it's enough to say this is a guy who, at least when he's at a defensive end going off of the edge, this is a guy who belongs in that type of role. And the Cardinals rolled ahead for him last year was perfect. So what happened and what changed? Well, I think it came down to that he's still a little bit undersized for the role. He's not quite the type of junkyard dog that Marcus Golden is. But I think that it is an area where the Arizona Cardinals put their eggs into the Chandler Jones basket and they pulled kind of a little bit of this area that we've seen that Steve Kime can do. And this is one of the one of the flaws that you can have. Is moving off of a star player a year too late. Rather than getting some value for them and moving off of them at the right time or a year too early. And I think we've seen a lot of this. Patrick Peterson was turned into a goat by many Cardinals fans last year. We saw Larry Fitzgerald's stats go from being a consistent 700 yards receiving a year guy. Two dropping down to about 300. You see how Adrian Wilson tried to play through an injury in 2012, gets cut and released by the Cardinals. Maybe he was held on a bit long. I think that ultimately that was just about the right time. You can even look at the likes of Carson Palmer. The Cardinals in that 2017 year needed desperately to get a quarterback because you could tell after that 2016 season, oh man, this there's probably a limited window you have with Carson Palmer. You're losing linemen. They're losing weapons. He's going to be taking a few more hits. We're going to be making this experiment last with him. You're probably going to be wanting to bring in someone else because you've got something confident that you can win with in Bruce Arians and with this staff. Cardinals instead choose to roll one more year with Carson. Probably a year too long. You can even say with David Johnson in the 2019 season, we got to see him drop off quickly after the 2017 season. Goes in 2018. You see that he's lost a step. Still gets almost 1,500 total yards, 900 rushing, maybe 400 or so receiving. Mostly backfield routes, not down the field. And I think that Chandler Jones, it's been the same type of thing here. We've seen Chandler Jones last year. Through his first four games, he had one sack. Then he tears his bicep. He's out for the rest of the year. Comes back in against the Titans, gets five sacks a game. He's like, oh, okay, Chandler's back. He's ready to go. He's ready to get paid. And since then... While he's been effective at generating pressures, he's been effective at being able to get to the quarterback, he has not shown himself to be that single-handed monster that's able to completely dominate and change the course of a game. We saw that from Hassan Reddick instead, who's at 27 years old, a few years younger. 
maybe a few years hungrier as far as trying to get a big deal done. And perhaps maybe what the Cardinals should have looked at was, hey, we've got our guy that we have at the edge rush. Maybe what we should do is bring back Hassan Reddick. We got Chandler Jones for another year. We can then use some of those guys together if need be. And just take the hit knowing that if we do hit on Hassan Reddick, we'll get to go from Jones to Reddick like it's nothing. Like It would be like going from Warner to Palmer, like straight away. Instead, I think what we have is we now got to this spot where we're watching, I think, the last end of last bit of Chandler Jones in a Cardinals uniform. And as sad as that may sound like, there's no regrets, I think. He set the sack record for Cardinals players, probably goes right to the ring of honor, will be probably available on a one-year deal if Arizona chooses to bring him back. And what we've seen is Hassan Reddick may be the guy that the Panthers are trying to franchise to make sure that Arizona doesn't bring him in. And maybe that's one of those areas where you look back and you say, maybe that's a mistake. I think what it's turned into is if the Cardinals had been able to bring back Hassan Reddick, we saw that type of level of production rotating in. We saw that, okay, this is the guy that's going to take over for Chandler Jones. He may not be that same type of all pro player Chandlers, but he's darn good. Then you're talking about the Cardinals being able to look out and improve their offense, grab a defensive tackle maybe to help stop the run with their first round pick in the NFL draft. But right now, they're probably going to say, we got to be able to sign players at those positions because we need to have a future at the edge rushing position. We've got our present with Marcus Golden. You've got a Dennis Gardeck you can throw in every once in a while. But I think that we've seen, at least by passing on Reddick, the Cardinals may need to look to drafting the replacement. And I hope that they hit on that pick because we've seen what this team looked like before they got Chandler Jones. And I really don't want to see what they look like after if there is no one there ready to roll in. Could have Reddick returned? Maybe, but I think at least for the most part, you can only control what you can control. And what the Cardinals can control is not necessarily what another team does with Reddick, but who they can choose to draft. And on the other side of that, at least with the Reddick equation, is DJ Humphreys, who, while having perhaps his best season in the NFL last year, has been good, but overall average this season. Most of that has been due to a change in the run blocking. Humphreys has always been good. He was... Great, good at pass protection last year, great at run blocking. It, it was fantastic at run blocking in 2020. We've not seen the same return of production. He's under contract for one more year with an option for Arizona. And I think that we're going to end up seeing as far as with whether it's investment for the offensive line, there's nothing I think you can complain about so far as a Cardinals fan. There's been injuries that have taken place, but they've at least been able to find guys who could substitute and come in. And perhaps last week with Justin Pugh out, with having Max Garcia up, maybe that was the straw that bent and finally did break a little bit on the offensive line. I think it's not as something to be concerned about, but if you're going to be talking about keeping DJ Humphreys long-term, about being able to bring in someone for Kyler Murray to be that long-term franchise left tackle, I think that you're seeing at least two things are true. One is either Josh Jones is going to be one of those next players who you're hoping can step up and avoid becoming a Mason Cole, and maybe that means he has to move out to the right tackle. I think that's his natural position. I think that's where he's played his best there. But if it's not, then you're going to be looking at a team that needs to be able to say, all right, DJ Humphreys, you're either rolling with him and hoping that, you know, the health stays put, things get better. We're looking for a right tackle. Your goal is that you don't want to ever be in a spot where you're looking for two tackles long term. Because whenever you're in a need of a position where you're down two, it gets really hard to feel a competitive team. The example I give for this, 2019 Arizona Cardinals. Was Larry Fitzgerald still a wide receiver one that year? It looked like it was in the first game, but no. It Over time, we got to see that Kirk was probably the main target. But it really didn't feel like that there was an alpha on the cards. It really felt like this is a team that Kyler's having to kind of try to make things out of that's not there quite yet. I think we saw that in 2020 when DeAndre Hopkins came in. You're like, oh, this is fun. When Hopkins was the one and Kirk was able to get separation the outside as the two, you got to see at least... A boom in the offense, but it wasn't perfect because Kirk's playing out of position. Hopkins obviously is a guy that he's a number one and an alpha, but when you keep feeding him so much and so reliant on him, you get to see what the offense looks like without him, and it's not as pretty. I think that in the end of the days, you're probably looking at saying, you know what? The Cardinals back in that 2019 year, they really didn't have a one a number one or a number two wide receiver. They have what Kirk is, which is probably your high-end two from the slot. And you can see that in the year before where it was Bryce Butler signed to be there. He had 
Greg Little. All of these things as far as the Cardinals had when they took those injuries where you're at, oh, we're down to starting left tackle. Oh, we're down to starting right tackle. And he's been released. Oh, we're down another left tackle. We've got Corey Cunningham coming into the game now. That is one of the spots where teams can overcome usually one or injury or two injuries. It's really hard to overcome two injuries like that in a row. And let's hope that the Cardinals don't have to see that on Sunday in case Colt McCoy, uh, who did suffer at least what seemed like a pectoral injury, had Chris Trevler come into the game. Played, I think, fine. He ended up being able to drive the team downfield, got a touchdown. Obviously, it's in garbage time. It's a little bit different. But you at least were able to prove, for the most part, get them get the man some reps and some confidence. Talking about positives of the game before we move on to Ben on Cliff and then a bit on the preview. Uh, the biggest positive for that game was Zach Allen. Zach Allen looked like he was making a living in the defensive backfield. There was times where it looked like he was making the same sort of plays that J.J. Watt was making earlier in the year. We've gotten to see some of that Vance Joseph defensive tackle who can penetrate has been a huge part of that scheme. They have not had that guy the past few years because Zach Allen's been hurt. He hasn't played as much for that. It was obviously concerning neck injury his rookie year. We've seen times it's been on the COVID list. We've seen the Arizona Cardinals essentially have to go the linebacker route rather than the defensive tackle route. And give credit where it's due, I think that we finally got to see Vance get that player he's been looking for and how successful it's been to have not just one, but two of those guys potentially for the playoffs. That may be a boon for each of those things. Jordan Phillips has played well, but he did get nicked up in the game. The Cardinals right now, their laundry list of injuries is super long. Uh, before we get into some of that for the game preview, talk a little bit about Jalen Thompson, who really is flying under the radar as the Cardinals have a 1-2 safety punch, but because Buda Baker is such a player, it's really hard to have Jalen Thompson be noticed. And in that regard, maybe you could talk about that one season where Adrian Wilson was the star, but it was Kerry Rhodes was the guy who was probably getting it done even more, perhaps, at times than A-Deb was. It was a phenomenal season. Jalen Thompson is having one of those years that's very underrated. I don't think he's going to get to the Pro Bowl. I think that you could argue if, hey, if Buddha went out for the Cardinals for a bit of time and all of a sudden people start paying attention to what Jalen Thompson is doing, I think that production then would have been there to send him for sure. But instead, those are the two biggest positives that have come out to the game ultimately. And I think you can see where the Cardinals have been set up for going into the next year. Um, with some of the guys, you can say, all right, we know who they're going to bring back. We know what they'll have a second shot for. There's some questions, obviously, that you have about a few different places and positions. But you ultimately don't feel like Arizona should have any excuses for not being able to repeat next year of having a solid, solid performing season. Provided that they're able to fill some of those spots with hits and obviously the relative health of the team. All right, we'll go ahead at least and talk about the injury report list after we talk about Cliff. That'll be right here next on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Talk about Cliff Kingsbury. Where is he at in the NFL? What is some of the upside that we saw coming when he was hired? How has that panned out now? And what could we expect moving forward? That'll be next here on the ROTB pod. We're back on the ROTB pod. Thank you for tuning back in, Cardinals fans. Wanted to at least go over a little bit of uh, with Cliff Kingsbury because there wasn't a chance to talk about this last week. Because we had the Arizona Cardinals who've kind of showed the ups and downs of what happens with starting a backup quarterback. Cliff Kingsbury went out and had a big win with no Kyler, no Hopkins, basically no... <laughs> No complete starting O-line. No Chase Edmonds, even. J.J. Watt's already out for the year. And, my goodness, did they put a beat down. They put on a clinic that showed when you are able to get, obviously, the defensive turnovers, it's good to go. But we're able to at least see the run game coordination, see some solid plays and designs, at least for Colt McCoy, the screen pass in a particular. Being able to essentially put your quarterback in position to succeed. Man, goodness, goodness, goodness. The Arizona Cardinals, when they first signed Cliff Kingsbury, it was considered to be a train wreck. Oh, boy. So, there's a lot that's going on, at least, when it comes to this. The biggest thing that they had, at least, is going back to when Cliff Kingsbury was first hired. There were Texas college boards that people had shared, at least, for that one. There was Reddit posts that were being made, at least, that... 
Cardinals had a few coaches they were looking at, some pro pro guys with Mike McCarthy. Obviously, they interviewed Adam Gase. But Cliff Kingsbury was one of the names that popped out. And the reason why that name popped, obviously, is because you're looking at a lineup, at least, for that one. This is like you're looking at a lineup, at least, of four or five guys. And one of them, at least, is noticeably three feet shorter than the other. That guy sticks out then like a sore thumb. And that was the same way that Cliff Kingsbury stuck out like a a sore thumb against all those other coaches because this is a college guy. Not an NFL guy, a college guy. It was a college guy who's known for drafting, developing quarterbacks in the Big 12, but not necessarily winning a lot of games in the Big 12. That's why it stuck out, because instead of looking at the retread approach, the Mike McCarthy approach, instead of going to the likes of, we're talking about at least um, other coaches that they had, at least for that one, there was Jim Caldwell, one of the coaches that was listed for that that year. You can talk about maybe even the Steelers coaches that were in there that had been interviewed the year before. Steelers offensive line coaches, at least guys who were part of the system. There's all sorts of these retread guys, but Cliff was something that was young and different and new. Everywhere he'd gone, we'd seen the offense around him improved as part of that, but they had not been winning. And so to hire him, not as an offensive coordinator, but as the head coach, was mocked essentially as saying, hey, this is a team that is hiring a guy to be the OC. He's not going to really be the head coach by de facto. What is the GM doing? Is he just going to be a guy that's just going to take, you know, orders from them just to kind of fix everything? What we saw instead was, I think, at least, the time being, a head coach that has since surpassed a few other people. Now, how much of that was luck? How much of that was providence? I think there's a lot more behind it than I think people have thought. Because at the time, remember, Cliff was at USC. He was going to obviously buy out his contract. He interviewed with the Jets. He obviously preferred the Cardinals, I think, for a number of reasons. One being we saw the Jets were had to hire a coach that was willing to take on the defensive coordinator, at least Greg Williams, obviously of Bounty Gate. And I, this is where I think we've seen a few teams that have come in for, they put their DC thing, hey, our, our DC is great. We're going to go ahead. We're going to keep him. Don't need to worry at least about all of that. Don't need to worry about hiring your guy. You make it work with our guy that we already have here, and we know what we have. Well, that was the same argument Cardinals fans made way back in 2012 with Ray Horton. And then as we got into 2013, Bruce Arians was hired. It was like, what is B.A. doing? They're letting Ray Horton go, and all of a sudden they bring in Todd Bowles. And wouldn't you know it? A good defense got better. And some of that is with the head coach and D.C. being on the same page. And I think that there was an avenue of the Jets where not only did they not have the number one pick to go and get a certain Kyler Murray, I think that Cliff wanted a spot where he would be able to get some say in who was being brought in with him. He wanted to get some say in his offensive corner. He didn't have a lot of context. We got to see... Most of the guys who were OC choices either stuck with the Niners because they had the ability to keep them or that they had to kind of go do the NFL route. But Cliff was a guy that got introduced to Vance Joseph. He was the guy that was on the staff. They made that part of the decision. And then he ultimately did his job of being a guy who can draft and develop quarterbacks and be able to say it. And a lot of what people mocked about Cliff that I think is interesting is I remember reading these takes from Patrick Mahomes in 2018 like, man. Cliff Kingsbury's hired. If Cliff had actually developed Patrick Mahomes, he would have gone number one. Oh, man, Cliff did a terrible job. They couldn't win games in that one. This is all a spot where they're going to hire Cliff Kingsbury. This is just a guy who couldn't win in the Big 12. What are we talking about here? And I think what we've seen, at least for the most part, is some of the reasons why Steve Wilkes, who worked for the Panthers, was set up essentially being the sort of head coach in waiting, why he failed. But Cliff Kingsbury has been able to succeed because Cliff actually not only failed, but learned from a lot of those mistakes. And that's something at least of having that level, not just of humility is super important, but also timing is important. Cliff landed in essentially the perfect maelstrom of timing. As a guy who went and obviously recruited Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes goes off in that 2018 season. All of a sudden, people started taking a look at Cliff Kingsbury and the guys he had brought in because, all right, well, we've had Baker Mayfield go. We've seen how we've seen how we've seen this explosion that's happened. You know what? This might be the guy who maybe could come in and fix our quarterback in Josh Rosen. Maybe the Cardinals had previously decided that they could move on as they seemed to like Rosen but weren't necessarily married to him. And we've seen more and more of Kyler and Cliff even this past week have talked about like, hey, like we're attached to the hip, you know, almost for better or for worse. It's a lot of people compared that season to The Bachelor. But Cliff is a guy who is responsible for developing and finding quarterbacks. 
And I think a lot of people have skimped on the developing standpoint because a lot of people felt like, oh, no, this is just look at Mahomes. He's raw. He's not this lack of talent. There's these issues here. And suddenly we're starting to see some of that similar rawness that Mahomes showed in college turning into a few of those same interceptions he threw at Texas Tech. Does it say that's a negative on Mahomes? No. It's more of just saying that this is who the player is and that there is a reason why out of all the quarterbacks Cliff Kingsbury wanted to pursue, he was so, so, so into Kyler Murray because he recognized not just the tenacity and the leadership with the arms and the legs, but just the type of competitor he would be. And looking at it for that one, would you still take Mahomes over Kyler? I think your average layperson would say sure. But this year, has it panned out for Cliff Kingsbury? Oh, yeah. And it's also panned out for the Arizona Cardinals as well. The guy that he's coaching against, Matt Rule, still, I think he'll have a winning record with the Panthers. That's a team that we can talk more in the future if the Cardinals do end up having to see them potentially in the postseason, as I do think they've got a great chance to... Them and the Niners run some of the gauntlet, beat up on a few bad teams in an open NFC right after the top four to five teams for those last two spots. You're talking about Matt Rule getting a contract after being a program builder at Baylor who basically was able to say, hey, you want to bring me away from that? Great. We got a seven-year, $60 million contract. You're talking about $9 million a year. They got him when he was at essentially his highest point that's what they had to pay cardinals you know for better for worse got cliff right after he had gotten fired from texas tech but he was going to be joining one staff of either sean mcveigh or bill belichick so now imagine if you're saying all right let's say that the cardinals in 2018 said they're moving off of their coach and they're going to pay say josh mcdaniels <laughs> McDaniels would be looking at Matt Rule's contract and be like, mm-hmm, all right, you want to get me leaving a year with New England where I'm basically the heir apparent to Bill, where I've got Tom Brady still here. I've got to have at least a solid defense as long as I'm the coach here. I'm going to probably say maybe seven years, $70 million, give me that $10 million a year contract. And, of course, I'm going to want some control over the draft board, control over the rest of the rest of the personnel decisions. That's some of the reason why I think we've seen with – Adam Gase, why he and the Cardinals were not going to be a great fit. It wasn't just that he didn't like Rosen. It wasn't simply that he's not a great coach. I do think part of the issue he ran into that we saw was he got his GM fired, essentially, in New York. I think that Steve Kime recognized a little bit of that in him about this little bit of adding power. Because if you're a guy who's like, hey, go out and hire my guy at GM for all that. Sure, he's got the ability to fire me, but I'm bringing him all in. There turns out to be a power struggle. Guess who's got the upper hand? I think Steve Kime sensed that. I think Steve Kime also sensed that Cliff was at a great spot where they could bring him in and get him essentially a year early. It's like you're talking about Patrick Mahomes. Let's say that Mahomes stayed and played in as a senior, suddenly starts for the Chiefs. Everyone realizes, okay, like this is a guy that is probably going to be the number one pick in the draft this year for that one. You're going to have to go up and pay a lot more to get him. Getting him a year early when he was a junior, super beneficial. Getting a guy at least a year before he was going to have to get paid at that Matt Rowe type of contract for Cliff Kingsbury, who, of course, had been coming off of a losing season, getting fired from his alma mater. That was not just a risk that you were taking, but it was a spot of where he'd almost have to kind of go and rehab his image somewhere. And as we've seen, he was able to rehab that image over the last two years, although coming into this year, and this is even me being victim of it, questions about, is Cliff going to be able to perform and improve the same way that Kyler can? I think thus far this year, we've seen at least that there's talent around him. He's been able to put together what's been needed to trust his players to go out and make plays. They put them in good positions to succeed, to design solid concepts that are able to make use of player strengths. And while it's not definitely, you know, over yet, I do think it seems like he's solidifying himself as a coach who's failed and adjusted and knows how to adapt. He's putting himself into more of the upper echelon of coaches, not just because of the talent that's on this team. But because it's in a spot where you can clearly see that players have liked playing for him, coaches and organizations have been that he handles stuff, maybe not how the media would like it with being quiet, but he's handled stuff with players in-house. And we need to get to see him open up a little bit as far as with a little bit more of a sense of humor and a personality. And I think ultimately at the end of the day when you're talking about it, Cliff Kingsbury has been able to prove that the Cardinals, credit to Steve Kahn, Michael Bidwell, and even Adrian Wilson helping with this, to Ernie Acorsi, they were right in the suspicions, at least, that there was potentially a hidden gem that you could go and find. You want to compare this to anything? Compare it to that fourth or fifth round draft pick, that hidden gem 
that other people maybe aren't looking at. And it wasn't that no one was looking at. The Jets were making a big, hard push for Cliff that year, too, seeing if he could fix Sam Darnold. That was one of the hot names in the coaching cycle that year, even if it wasn't quite the hottest. A lot of people have said, hey, can I interview you as a head coach? But we got another guy in mind. Maybe we're seeing what you'd be like as a coordinator. I don't think that was the case. I think what we've seen at least is Cliff now is giving the Cardinals maybe not the ultimate dream, but dream of having a young offensive mind paired up with a freakishly talented quarterback. A guy who's 42 years old paired up with a 25-year-old quarterback. You're talking about not this Bruce Arians and Carson Palmer type. You're talking about a youth movement we have not seen in Arizona for quite some time. And for that matter, I think that Cardinals fans, even when you see last week with the loss at the head, you can at least tell, all right, this is a team that is coming off of a Niners win that didn't have to win against the Panthers because they went out and did what they needed to the week before. You didn't have this desperation of failing to go 0-2 without Kyler. Now, looking at my predictions, I think it's at least funny. The predictions that I think I made for the Cardinals, there's a couple of things I think I can flip. I'll talk about this. Part of it, I think, was impacted, obviously, by... Cliff, or how some of the things that you'd seen either the year before changed. I think that I predicted the Cardinals to be a 12 to 13 win team looking at their opening schedule in 2020. You talk about they may be starting 6-0 with how easy that schedule looked. Then all of a sudden you're looking at down the stretch. You're just having to be able to go looking at this and say, all right, this is NFC East, pretty easy. AFC East, mm, okay, you got the Jets. Okay, you got the Dolphins with the rookie quarterback. There were times where it seemed like the Cardinals could be that 12 win team. They even were going at it at one point, obviously, 6-3. and three. You're like, dang, you've, you're at 6-3 and three with nine games. You've only got eight more games to go. You split those games. I started to say, what is that, seven more games. You split those games down the middle and go 3-4. and 9-7, and seven, you're a playoff team. Obviously, things went downhill. I think that's what caused a little bit of shake in Cliff Kingsbury status. I at least had said, I think the Cardinals can be a 10-win team this year. But there's just enough at least questions about, you know, are guys going to stay healthy like A.J. Green? Will you see this team improve? I think you could see them improve defensively, which is great. But the schedule was going to get tougher as well. Cardinals had only beaten two teams with a winning record. You didn't know, did they have that killer instinct? And so I said, all right, I think maybe that could be maybe about an eight or nine, eight win season. It was funny as you flip those two years, suddenly things look good. And that's where I think the NFL can be sometimes. This shows that there's things that we can sometimes suspect or know. There's sometimes things that we don't know. And a good one, I think, at least, is the Niners and the Panthers game. There were so many people picking the saying, this is it. The Niners are going to win. They'll beat the Cardinals. They get blown out. People say, oh, man, Panthers have nobody at quarterback. They can force some turnovers easily for that one. Just run the ball with Cole. This is going to be a Cardinals victory. And guess what? It was a Panthers blowout. Because that's where turnovers matter. And I even said, it was, hey, talking with Kyle Posey a few weeks ago, Kyle. The Cardinals can force a few Garoppolo turnovers. This may actually be their game, just to, just, just to give you a heads up there. And that turned out to be the case. I'd pick the Cardinals to lose because I thought, all right, you got Colt, you're missing all your talent and all your players. At some point, you think that you're going to have things that would go for the Niners. They're getting back guys healthy. They're targeting Ayuk more Kittles back in the game. We ended up seeing that those players, at least, ended up fumbling the ball a few times. The Niners' run defense then was exposed, and the Cardinals' cruised an easy victory. This week, some of the warning signs maybe were there. We talked on the pod about the Reddick Revenge game. Talked a bit about, uh, obviously, the Cam Newton signing happened at least after the pod, I believe. But we talked a bit about how the biggest thing that the Panthers needed to do was to utilize Christian McCaffrey run the ball and see if they could force Colt McCoy into mistakes with that top-ranked defense. But the idea was the Cardinals, at least, have been coming off of this win. The Panthers have just been losing game after game. It feels very much like this is a spot where Arizona's got momentum and Carolina does not. As we've seen so often, momentum in the NFL only goes so far as until it doesn't. You have momentum, you have momentum, this quarterback is on fire, the announcer says, and then they throw a pick. That's just how it goes in what can be a semi-predictable but often fun, unpredictable NFL. And in that regard, I think when making predictions for this game, let's take into account what the Arizona Cardinals are working with, which is a lot. A lot of injuries. Yeah, let's go over the list, at least for that right now. We've got uh, just from Thursday's report. We'll see you on Friday for that one. Buda Baker being the biggest name, obviously, at least, going from limited to does not practice, with heel being listed, not saying it's non-football as far as the issue. You've got Kelvin Beecham, obviously, Rodney Hudson, at least, having some rest, did not practice again, it looks like. Same with Chandler Jones, getting some extra time off. 
then have Justin Pugh missing practice. You're hoping that they can have, obviously, a Max Garcia back. At least he was limited in practice. And you're also talking about guys like Corey Peters. Um, and the unsung, I guess, maybe not hero necessarily, at least, of this time where you don't have <laughs> Chase Edmonds as you're starting running back in. Eno Benjamin is hurting and limited with a groin injury. You also have Jordan Phillips being limited in practice. And you have, of course, obviously, Jendry Hopkins not practicing with the hamstring. Kyler Murray limited two days in a row in practice. Colt McCoy limited two days in a row in practice. Cardinals need their bye, obviously. They need Kyler back, but they need their bye more. The hope is that you can at least get healthier. And in a lot of ways, I think that was the question that the Cardinals fans will have is, is this a game against the Seattle Seahawks that you can win if more guys have to miss, if Hopkins isn't there? The answer seems to be easy. If Kyler Murray goes in, you should be expecting that the Arizona Cardinals will be able to at least pull off the win, even though it's on the road in Seattle. They've been pretty much perfect on the road this year, about as perfect as it can get. But I don't know if they necessarily need Kyler to beat the Seahawks. This is a Seahawks team that obviously put up zero points against the Packers, looked disjointed between Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. It feels very much like Pete just wants to run the ball more, saying we got to run the ball more because he's trying to control the game. He's trying to be able to win this game with running the ball and defense, winning these close games. So Russ wants to go out and put up those huge numbers just like Mahomes and the other quarterbacks, and he's even forcing himself to do it now. Talked about how he did rehab on his finger 19 times a day and then goes out and throws what probably should have been three interceptions but was at least two in the end zone. It looks obviously like the Seahawks are potentially seeing the end of this Pete Carroll-Russell Wilson dynasty in one way or the other. Either Russ will stay, maybe you end up seeing a different coach, maybe it's all a GM issue, but at the end of the day, this is a spot where if the Cardinals have Kyler Murray, they have a chance to win this game because they have a chance to win any game with Kyler Murray. Well, the Seahawks are struggling. Their defense is not great. It's gotten a bit better, I think, at least in some cases, but it's still not great. Obviously, I think the turnovers will be the big thing that matters here, but this is a team where let's say that if Colt couldn't go, if Kyler couldn't go, and I think that Kyler will probably have a good shot at going. I think it'll be close, but I think that he'll want to go out there at least and be able to take it to Russell Wilson, be able to put himself back in the MVP conversation that he's missed on for two weeks and really didn't lose a whole lot of ground because Stafford put up a dud of a pair of back-to-back games. Tom Brady, same difference. While he was out, you saw a dud of a game against the Broncos from Dak Prescott. Kyler's got a chance to be able to make himself the MVP frontrunner in returning, and I think that's going to be a motivator for him. That being said, even if you had to start Straveler, if the Cardinals can go out, be able to force some turnovers, get some pressure and sacks on Russ, think that they have a very good shot of being able to come away with the win. I think that's not necessarily perhaps going to be a blowout, but if Kyler is back in the game, you almost have to kind of pick the Cardinals because every time that we've gone away from picking the Cardinals on the road, stuff happens. And obviously, there's weird things that happen with these Seahawks. And weird things happen with NFC West Divisional games. But I think that if you talk about Kyler playing, I think you'll be looking at maybe a resurgent team, but I think it'd still be somewhere in the range of 30 to 14 Cardinals would be the game prediction. Obviously, things can change, but I think if you can get that and cement it, go into the bye week knowing this is the lead that you have in the NFC West, and you're coming for the King. You're coming for the Green Bay Packers, who are going to be taking on a division rival in the Vikings, and who they lost to badly last year. I think they've beaten them at least once this year, and... Playing your division rival, the L.A. Rams, the week following. Hmm. It's going to be very interesting to find out how that will go. What I do think is going to be very curious will be the status, ultimately, of the last reminder, as we set out today, the last news is J.J. Watt. He's back in the light room. He's been working, he's been practicing. I think there's a very good chance that the Cardinals can go ahead and look at it and say, we're down to the time of games where if we can be able to you know, beat the Rams, that ends it. Division race. Pretty much over. You end up talking about the uh, NFC race, excuse me. You play the Rams. You play the Cowboys. You don't play the Packers. You'll need a little bit of help, at least from someone. And I think that the Rams may have a chance to provide that in the next couple of days. But first of all, if it is one game at a time, the Arizona Cardinals, the way that they match up against this Seahawks team is pretty well. The Seahawks have struggled to effectively be able to run the ball because their offensive line is not great. Our defensive line has a few defensive tackles, guys who can get pressure. 
And they've got a solid edge rusher now for the first time in a long time, but it's not like the days of old where they had multiple rushers. The cornerback situation, no stars back there. And then the linebacker situation is a 30, 31-year-old Bobby Wagner, who's still obviously one of the best inside linebackers in the game, but he's not able to carry it himself. I think that unless we end up seeing this kind of crazy resurgent Russ offense, I think what we end up seeing is this run-heavy approach by Pete Carroll. I think we'll see Russ try to Superman a few things. I think that will lead to a turnover or two. And if Kyler's in the game, the Cardinals can overcome that. The Seahawks have not been able to so far this year. That'll be the game prediction. I don't know about what yours will be. You can follow and find the game prediction at ROTBpod on Twitter, as well as you'll end up with me at BlakeMurphy7. It's been kind of a crazy week for the most part. Overall, happy to actually get this out before the game on a Friday. And we'll see how the Arizona Cardinals do. Obviously, some big plans with two shows planned for the Arizona Cardinals by week next week. Hopefully, some special guests to be joining just to talk about the maybe not necessarily midway point through the season, but essentially one of the most important bye weeks that we've seen for the Arizona Cardinals in quite some time. That'll be next week on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. Go Cards, taking on the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday. Let's see if our short king, Kyler Murray, can outduel his fellow short king, Russell Wilson, with them both potentially coming off of injury. If not, we see Colt McCoy or Chris Trevler there. Let's hope that the Cardinals can step up in a much bigger way than they did last week against the Panthers. This has been the ROTB Pod. Take care, everyone.